0: is greater, our God is stronger, God you are high. greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God. artist my god that is true
1: set to a tune written in 1827 by Henry A. Cesar Malone. The theme for this familiar hymn comes from 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving. You have given us the privilege to commit to you and to the ways of your way. And we thank you, Lord, that um, you can take our life as we consecrated you who work wonders in our life. And we just give you praise and glory and honor for that. We pray, God, that you'll take these gifts that these faithful people have given that honor you, Lord, and bring the mission of the gospel of Christ to this world. Use them, Lord, and bless these your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Take my life and let it be consecrated.
1: Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just give you praise and glory and honor for such being a wonderful God who loved us in eternity before the foundation of the world and loves us now. And for the great opportunities we have to fellowship and be in your presence and to share the joy of worshiping you together. To sing songs that are, uh, just express our heart's joy. And to be blessed too, Lord, to know that we have an assurance with you that never ends, that never gets taken away, and that even the devil himself who would try to do that cannot do that. We give you praise, God. We also give you thanks, Lord, for this great country that we live in and the many opportunities that we have, and we're fearful of what government can do, Lord, but you know that you are in control, and we ask you, Father, that you will raise up men and women who are faithful, who will hear what your voice has to say and even do, what is right in your sight. We pray especially, too, for the great military and people that we have taking and protecting us so that we can visit here and we can live and worship you freely as we want to. We just pray, too, Lord, for the people in our church that are struggling, those who are going through difficulties, Lord, right now. We think of our brother Frank and how he continues to battle, Lord, and some of the fears and anxieties about not breathing and also uh, Coming to the end, Lord, I just pray that you will give him the victory. And we know that that promise is for him. But we also, too, Lord, pray that maybe if it be in your will that you bring healing to him. We pray also, too, Father God, for those who are faithful at home that um, because of COVID and because of health conditions, they can't make it. We think of Lucille. We think of Kay. We think of Anne. We think of um, Mary. And we pray for Joyce, all of them who are having difficulties with their back. We pray for Howard, and we pray for Betty, who was with us this morning, first time after her knee surgery, and so good to see her, Lord. We pray also for Don and his back surgery and for his wife, Luann, who had her knee surgery. We pray also, too, Father God, for um, those who are struggling with the loss of loved ones and dealing with those stresses. I pray also, too, for Chris. Um, You know the difficulty that he's going through right now, and I pray also, too, For a friend of mine, uh, uh, Randy, who uh, had surgery on his cancer and now there's been complications with bile and and having antibiotics, I just pray bring healing to him. And we also pray for Leanne, Steve's uh, uh, sister-in-law, who marvelously, Lord, have you provided for her these 55 years and now she's in the hospital. We just pray that you restore her to as many years that uh, she has battled to stay in life and how... Her family has just surrounded her and cared for her, and she's done so well. I just pray for the family during those times, too. I pray also, too, Father God, for those who are battling addictions, people that we love and know. Some we list here with Ryan and Jordan and David and Brady and Earl and uh, Ricky, Lord. Um, I pray for them, Lord. I pray for Mitch, too, Lord, and um, him also battling the cancer now. Uh, i just pray that it doesn't let him slip back into and i pray also too for um, the davis family lord you know what's going on there bring healing pray also for monica lord and bring healing to her i pray also to the germany family who's grieving the loss of captain germany from the police department i just pray for them i also pray for kyle lord as he continues to rehab his mouth and his legs and we pray also too for um a man whom um, my son and daughter-in-law worked with at school who had a golf cart rolled on him and severed his spine. I just pray for him as he's now at Craig Institute and pray for healing for him and to get the restraint back into his legs so he can walk and enjoy his children. And Lord, there's other things on our mind, people that we love. Lord, hear our prayers. We lift them up by name. now for, Lord, as you have already. Send forth your Holy Spirit so we can hear what we need to hear and that we can glean what we need for life every day to follow you obediently and to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Our family is really in a time right now where we're so excited. We had a baby shower yesterday. Some of you had gone to and Um, We've been all so excited. And one of the things that's happening right now is that um, we're guessing at the baby's name. It's top secret. I think it's at Fort Knox. But my brother had a suggestion from New Jersey that because my brother Al thought that maybe the baby should be named Allison or maybe Alisa after him. Well, I didn't think that worked out too well. (laughs) And it was poo pooed. But anyway, the Bible speaks about many significant names. Parents pick out the names for their children because they want them to reflect and look to the future with bright hope. And we see that in the Old Testament. And in the Bible, names are given to people dictating to what their lives are going to be about, what their mission is, and how they're going to live. And we see that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Where we see, for instance, David, his name meant God's beloved. Abraham meant the father of multitudes. Both of those names fit. Jacob, the deceiver, which fit his, a good part of his life. And then we see Isaac as the one who laughs or laughter. And then Moses, who was drawn out from the river. And then also, of course, Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Well, we find that there are several names that are given in, in this passages that we're going to see today of Jesus. But they're also used, and then what we talked about last week is about prophecy. The prophet sometimes is to preach to the moment that the struggle is going on, but also his prophetic utterance oftentimes means more in the future that God has, and he's predicting what's going to go on. And we're going to see that in these passages today. And first, we're going to see, though, the situation that Isaiah is speaking to immediately. And that is, as we read in Isaiah 7, and again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol and high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, and that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, what we have in this situation in this statement is a beautiful exchange of Isaiah with God to Ahaz the king. And what we have here is that a situation that Ahaz, as the king, was very concerned about his kingdom. He had two above him, two, um, two countries above him, Syria and Israel, that were going to, con- he was worried about them coming and attacking down south where he was in Judah. And Isaiah was pretty much a prop- prophet for Judah, but he also prophesied against Israel and several other kingdoms, in fact, five of them in the book of Isaiah. And Ahaz, this king, was very concerned about Syria and very concerned about Israel running him over. And so with these two threats, that God saw them, as he says in his scriptures, as two smoldering stubs of firewood, because God knew that he was going to have Syria and also Israel were going to be run over by 722. And they wouldn't even have to be worried. Ahaz wouldn't even have to be worried about them. But because Ahaz would not trust the Lord... Ahaz rather would trust in an alliance that he made with Assyria. He felt that he had himself covered. And what we find here is very interesting that we see here. And that is, notice what he says. He acts very piously to Isaiah. And notice what he says. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to this. Very piously spiritual, and very condescending. But he was lying through his teeth, and he was using God's name to hide behind the reality that he had not trusted God to protect him, but instead, and that's why Isaiah went to him, and he had not trusted God to protect him, but he was doing in this alliance with the Assyrians to prevent him, prevent him from being overrun by Israel and, and Syria. And so what he does, he throws the smoke screen out because he really doesn't want to hear about this sign because he already made up his mind. He was going to trust his alliance with Assyria rather than trusting God. And so what we have here is someone, and I don't know if you've had it before, but I have, In fact, this past week, I was trying to help somebody, but I knew they were lying to me. And you know what I said? You're not telling me the truth. And you know what his first thing was? Honest to God. That made it truthful. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Honest stack of Bibles. Or the other one, which is, God is my witness. (laughs) Look out, because there's a lie in there somewhere. And that's what we see here. Ahaz is pulling this and trying to cover it with this God talk. And that he is so much, doesn't want to test God. He doesn't want to know God's answer. That's the reality of it. And the prophet knows it. And what the prophet does then, he, doesn't, he goes back and he says, he says, look, I'm going to go. And he goes to the children of Israel. And he shares with them the sign. And look at this sign that we hear read coming out of Matthew during Christmas time, don't we? We hear this Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that this is the prophecy that was given for Christ as Matthew pulls it out. And reminds us that this is the one, the God who comes, Jesus Christ is born of a virgin, is the one who comes to us to save us and be by our side, the Emmanuel. But Ahaz doesn't want to believe that. And what happens is, he, Isaiah has a second wife, and they have a second wife who has this child, they believe. And has named him Emmanuel. To remind, and then he takes his son and reminds him that this child is going to be with you. To remind you that God is with you. And that he's going to help you through this crisis that you're having with Syria and Israel. And God will take care of it. Trust him. But instead, he trusts in his own wisdom. And he doesn't have the faith. And what we find out is that in 734, Syria is wiped out by Assyria. And in 722, Israel's wiped out by uh, um, uh, Assyria. But the problem is that Ahaz, who's made this deal with Assyria, 100 years later, guess what happens? They overrun him after they've extorted all the money out of his kingdom. It's tragic. And it's tragic because he doesn't obey God and trust him by faith. How many times is it that people and Christians... Find an easy, quick solution rather than trust God as they walk through the crisis of life and they use their own wisdom rather than go to the Lord. And they find themselves getting themselves in trouble and lacking obedience. How many remember when the pastor up here in the north and now the building is owned by WSU who didn't trust the Lord? And instead, he thought he could make a quick buck by laundering money for the cartel, only to find out later on that they were the DEA. And he went to prison for 15 years. Why? Because he didn't trust the Lord. And instead, he trusted his own wisdom to make it work. And how many times is it that there are people who make choices, including us, that we use our own wisdom rather than obey God? And even half obey and half do it our way. It's very easy to happen in our world today. And that we don't trust God. How many marriages are ended because people don't trust God to work with them with their partner and instead they bail out? Here the Bible speaks to us and says to us, listen to God. Teach your children to listen to God. Speak to your friends to listen to God and obey him by faith. And we're living in a broken world. And God is telling us he has come to be with us. And that promise not only to Isaiah, but it even further was much more grander when Jesus came to earth because he truly became God with us. Isaiah's prediction of the birth of this one Jesus who was born both man and who identified with us, went through the pains and suffering and struggles that we go through. And yet was God. To overcome the temptations and the struggles. And to conquer death by being God in the flesh. And that he fulfilled all that. He plugs the void. But sometimes we make alliances and we try to do it in our own way. And that's why the writer then says to us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And he's saying to this very dark world right now, that Assyria is breathing down upon Ahaz. And all this, and they're living in the darkness, he says, and this light will come. You'll have a multiplied the nation. You have increased it with joy. They will rejoice before you in the joy at the harvest. And as the glad, when they will divide the spoil and you yoke. Of his burden in the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the days of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of Thoma and every garment rolled in blood will be burned in the fuel as a fire. And what the prophet is saying here, that God will straighten it out for you if you obey him. He will give you the light. And the Bible talks about that great light, doesn't it? Doesn't it say it in John, he was the light that came for the world. And that we find Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Those are beautiful expressions of this. But you know what? People still live in darkness. People in that day lived in darkness because they didn't see the light. They didn't trust it by faith. And they missed it. And yet Jesus said, I am the light of the world and people still miss it. There's that thing called SAD, SAD, or Seasonally Affected Disorder. And some people believe that the worst place to live in the world is up in Alaska, but that's not true. It's in Australia. In Australia, there's a city that has it 24 hours a day. They don't even get one hour break that they get in Alaska. And for 24 hours, it's dark, and they have that from November to early March. And they struggle in the darkness. In fact, they spent several million dollars, 2.4 million dollars, to put up a huge uh, mirror to try to find the sun and reflect the light into their community. That's what they've done. Because it's so dark there. And people get very depressed there. And Jesus here speaks to us. We know people who live in darkness. Sometimes we've felt the darkness in our own life. And that darkness can easily overcome us. But Jesus says, I come to give you the light. The light that shines in the darkness and chases it out. And the way that happens is because this Emmanuel is a special person. That he is God and man together. And that he's the real deal. And that he is humanity. He is deity, and he's sovereignty over all the world. The virgin birth is a miraculous thing. Paul said in, the second, in 1 Timothy 3.16, he states it. He said that God was manifest in the flesh was a mystery, and it truly still is. But we have in the church today, let me share this with you. In the church today, there are those who don't want to believe that anymore. Why? Because it's miraculous. Why? Because it's something that they've never thought about. In fact, there's many who try to demythologize the Bible, like those in the, uh, in the Jesus Seminar process, who want to take all out of the Bible that's miraculous and basically defang God. And the Bible says that this is what happened, and that God is a miracle worker, that Jesus walked the streets and he healed the lame. He... Touched the blind, he even brought people back from the dead. This is the power that Jesus had, and yet there are people who want to destroy that, who want to take that central doctrine away that he was born of a virgin and the tragedy of it all is is that it 's falling upon those in the church today the apostle 's Creed was written so that we knew with the Bible in concrete form, the basic doctrines of the faith. And if Jesus is not born of a virgin birth, we've got a problem in our faith. Because Jesus then can't die to save us. He can't do any of the things he did. And it's tragic that this is one of the doctrines that's being attacked in the church. It's been attacked for a long time. And we fact, in fact, I was reading about Pew Research. And this is a company that researches in churches. And they ask about what churches believe in doctrines. And you notice the amazing thing about it? In the church, when they did it in 2014, 73% believed that Jesus was born of a virgin. And now in 2020, it's dropped to 66%. And the amazing thing for me and this shocked me one of the guys who I've respected in the young crowd who, as a preacher, Andy Stanley, who's uh, 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 Charles Stanley's son, he said, "Well, really, it really doesn't really matter. <sighs> I almost fell off the floor. Because if Christ is not man and God, he won't be able to take away our sins." He doesn't have the power to conquer the sin and the temptation that we have. And this is a fundamental doctrine of the church and that God is manifest in the flesh because otherwise he won't be able to heal us and forgive us and give us eternal life. And then to add that to the rest of the world, how many remembered Phil Donahue? You know, he's a flash in the past now. But I remember Phil Donahue who... One of his programs, he said, it was called the Highway to Heaven, and of course he had Al Molder, who was Doctor Molder from uh, Southwest uh, Baptist Seminary, and then they had a rabbi and a priest and a, uh, a liberal Protestant minister, and they said, "How does one get to heaven, Mr. Molder? What, what do you say to that?" And he said, "Well, there's only one way: is through Jesus Christ." The Bible says, John 14, 6, for God so... He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then he turned as the devil's advocate that he loved to do, and he said, Rabbi, what do you think about that? And he said, well, Mr. Mulder is basically a spiritual racist. And that he is basically like the Ku Klux Klan, like the Nazis who don't recognize my Judaism. And you see, the question has to be answered by everybody. And either you accept what Jesus said, or we accept the world says. And here, we see that again and again in our world. Sometimes Scripture is even taken out of context. When we flew into New York City this time, and as we were leaving LaGuardia Airport, and we looked across to... River, we saw the UN buildings. And in the UN buildings, they were basically developed right after the World War II to try to bring peace among the world. And they're still working at it, and it's going to be probably forever that they'll never get to it. But out in front of the there was a, a Russian who had sculpted a basically a, a statue of what Isaiah says. And Isaiah speaks about when the spears will be worked into pruning hooks and that their sword will be pushed into plowshares and that there shall be no nation against any nation. There will be war no more. And that's a very, let me say this, that the UN has a very wonderful challenge ahead of them in goal. But as we know, the scriptures say, because man's sinful, will they ever attain that? And what the prophet tells us is that that will be attained when Christ returns and his new kingdom is set up. And that he will be the strong ruler. And Isaiah comes out with that when he says, "For unt- uh, and he says um, that and he says, um, yeah, for unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He's speaking about the time when Christ will return. And that what we find here is Jesus fitting into that role as having the government of the world over him on his shoulders. And that he directs it. Right now he is what, allowing men to go about the But he's directing the path and he's in control. But there will come a day... When all the war and all the sin will be emptied out because Christ will return and wipe out the earth and set up a new kingdom for those who love him and who are called by Jesus Christ into this kingdom and who are saved. But in the meantime, we live in this world that's tattered and we see the crime rates going up and we see wars going on in our world and it's because Christ is not taking complete control as he will do in the end. And so what we find here is we need this strong ruler who will carry it. And that's what Christ will do. But in the meantime, look at who Jesus is spoken about by the prophet Isaiah. This child will be born. And so what we find here is that the child's going to be a human from Mary. But notice what it says then, and the son is given. Why does he say the son is given? Because Jesus came to Mary not birthed through a man, but through God sending his Holy Spirit and impregnating her through the virgin birth. And that this son is given by God through the Holy Spirit. And that's why we see the child is born, the human side of Jesus, and the son is given by the side of a deity. And what we see the same wording in John three sixteen that we see we used to see on football game there where God so loved the world that he what gave his only begotten Son. See this Son came by the empowerment of God through the Holy Spirit into this virgin birth, and it's interesting that we find also that he's given a name, and he will be, and his name will be called. And then it gives a list of names. Why is it singular rather than plural? Because in Jesus Christ, this wonderful counselor, it's all one part of his being and not separate parts, but distinguished just so that we can see it. But it calls it his name, encompasses all this. It's like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, It doesn't say fruits of the spirit, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It says fruit. And it should be singular in us that when we come to Christ, this fruit bears witness through our lives. And here, the writer of the Isaiah is giving us who this Christ is. It's powerful because what we are seeing here in this one is what we need for life. What we need again and again. We see his humanity and his deity. And Paul speaks about it being the greatest thing ever. And what we see here is first that he rules the world. This wonderful counselor rules the world. He's our king. But then we see here this wonderful counselor. Who comes along and he does glorious things. Wonderful things. Powerful things. And he's extraordinary. We see it through the scriptures. And he's the one who gives us counsel. And speaks to us the truth and shows us the way. Now one of the things that happens here. He is not just like you go to therapy and take some suggestions to change your personality. That's not what this is about. This wonderful God. Who's coupled was this wonder and grace that He lives in our lives and works with us and gives us this counsel? Doesn't mean that we say, okay, God, okay, Jesus, thanks for that suggestion. No, that's not the way it works. In fact, I love what Tim Keller wrote in his book, Hidden Christmas. He really gets the idea of what this is about. And this is what most of us as Christians forget. Some people think that it's optional to obey God or not. No, we need to obey him if we really want to enjoy the joy that he wants to give us. And Keller writes this. When you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. You have to give up the right to say, I will obey you if, or I will do this God if. As soon as you say, I will obey you if. That is not obedience. That's rebellion. And you are saying, you are my visor, but you're not my Lord God. And I will be happy to take your recommendations. And I will, might even do some of them. He says, no. If you want Jesus with you, and you want to give up the right of self determination. Self denial is an act of rebellion against this modern world's viewpoint of self assertion. In fact, but that is what we must call it, and there's nothing less. What he's saying here is our obedience should be nothing less to what God tells us as our counselor. And not only is he our counselor to show us and direct our way through his word, but we also need to understand that he is the counselor in the legal sense, where he goes before God and pleads our case for all the sin that we've committed. You look at John, 1 John Chapter 2, verse 1, it says he's our counselor. And he stands before the throne of God and throws the blood of his son himself on our sins and washes them away before the judge of the universe. And that he becomes our mediator. And the only way he does this is not because he's 50% man and 50% God. He's 100% man and 100% God. And he does that for us in this tremendous. And then look what it says. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, but then he's the mighty God. That means he's got the power to do it for us. He executes it for us. He is able to have, he's our hero. He's our warrior. He's the one who overcomes it because he's the mighty God who has the strength to do it. And then also, he's the everlasting father. And this is the forever and ever, he's like a father to you and to me. A father that's good, who's concerned about you, knows exactly about you, and what you need to become a very vibrant son and daughter of God. And he will works through the difficulties in our life to pair us and to change us so that we can be his children and reflect that in our lives. And then also, not only as the everlasting father, but then the prince of peace. He brings peace to us. How does he bring that peace? Number one, he brings peace, as it says in Romans chapter 5. He brings peace to us before God. We're enemies towards God. Until we come to know Christ, we don't want to listen to God. We want to reject him. But he brings peace with us in God. Then the Bible says the second peace he brings is internally. That we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And internally, as we grow in Jesus and we know him better, we have such peace when we go through the difficulties of life and know that he's going to handle it. And then we also get peace from God. Because when we do things, that peace, that inner peace that we have to know that we're saved, that inner peace that we have that calms us down and we can trust God no matter what is going on in our lives and that we want his kingdom to become, come and we want his will to be done, we get this peace from God in our hearts. The tragedy is that many people don't experience that peace They don't experience that in their lives. And they find themselves struggling because they haven't released to his peace that he has for us. Because he's the prince of peace that satisfies us as we let him go. You know, it's interesting. I was reading this week that since 1959 to 2016, life expectancy continued to rise. It's risen from 69% to 79 years old, not 69 years old, to 79 years old. That's life expectancy. But in the last few years, and it doesn't have anything to do with COVID, they have found that that is starting to shrink again. Do you know why it's shrinking? And this is the thing that blew me away. It's because of the hopelessness that leads to deaths of despair that many of the young people have in our world. They say that the reason why the expectancy is dropping, number one, mass violence, number two, abuse and number three the increasing number of people who are taking their lives in suicide and are missing the peace sociologists tell us that people living in this world are tattooing themselves like crazy you know why they're tattooing they want to be noticed they want to be seen as different and they're saying that this is the reason why we're having this avalanche of people, swimmers in our Olympic teams who will come out and their whole arm is covered. Because they wanna be noticed. Because they don't feel, they feel insignificant in this world. And, and, and it's tragic when we find, and every time I go to a suicide of a 20 year old or a 15 year old, it, 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 it makes no sense. And then back east. In fact, my brother's boss's daughter, she committed suicide jumping off the George Washington Bridge. And they say, and the reason why they put netting up of the walkways because they to prevent people from committing suicide off the George Washington Bridge. Each year they get over a hundred young men and women who are people who will jump off the bridge to commit suicide. And the interesting thing about it, they take their shoes off and they leave them there. And you sit there and go, what? And the officers say, that's when we know somebody's done it because there's a set of shoes there. And sure enough, later on, they find the body in the Hudson River and it's because they've done themselves in. And it's because they don't have peace in their hearts. All the things they try and the places they go and the relationships, and it doesn't bring the peace. And the reason is because they're missing the peace of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who wants to give us the peace. Peace in our own hearts. Peace in the world. And it's elusive because we're in this world and they don't have that relationship that can give them the peace. And look at what the Bible promises here from Isaiah. You will keep him in perfect peace. God's going to give us that peace. Whose mind is stayed upon God, you God, because he trusts in you, God. That's where the peace comes from peace in this world, peace with God, the peace of God inside. Peace with other people, he'll bring. And notice what Paul says in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace. That's where our peace comes from. No other place. Because Jesus came to this world. God with us. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace for our hearts to rejoice. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that you've given us the hope because of who you sent and how it was prophesied to us 700 years before Christ stepped on this earth. We just pray, Lord, that we can experience that peace that you promise from knowing that we're saved to know that you are in our hearts and that we can rest in you and trust you for all the dealings in our lives and that you will bring us that peace. Thank you, God, for being here today through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we celebrate what God has done for us and brought us that peace, we're going to have communion right now and we're going to Hear the words of exhortation for this. Dearly beloved in the Lord, that you may now receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to your comfort. Let every one of you examine himself in heart and conscience, whether he believes God's faithful promise that all our sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ. And whether he promises henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life, by walking uprightly before him and living in love and peace with his neighbor. For all those who are thus minded, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of his table and give them his peace. Let's take a moment and come to the Lord in the quietness of your hearts and confess any sin that's holding you back or that is hurtful and that you can give it over to him. Lord Jesus, right now we come to you and we bring to you our sins and we thank you for hearing them and forgiving us. And Lord, thank you for inviting us to your table to remind us of the forgiveness and the hope and the peace that we can have. In your name we pray, amen. He goes on to say, you are also to consider in the instituting of the Holy Supper, our Lord Jesus Christ gave us a sure remembrance and a pledge of his hearty love and faithfulness toward us. So doubt not that Christ himself will certainly feed and nourish our souls with everlasting life, with his crucified body and shed blood, as this bread is broken and this cup is given and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. And we may obtain that grace. Let us joyfully receive from him. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of the brokenness of our lives, Christ broke his body to heal us. Thank you, Lord, for healing our brokenness. Amen. Mike Banner also he took the cup, and when he had taken it, he said, "This cup is a new covenant of my blood. this two years often and as you drink it in remembrance of me."